You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast exploring... Nope, uh, I'm going to take that again. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as usual, is tiny yellow how's it going tiny it's good man it's good how are you doing good pretty good pretty good how'd you feel about the patreon recording we just recorded that's fun always fun yes it is and if you want to get access to a special uh patreon exclusive recording go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer at the minimum rate of one dollar per month you get access to a special rss feed filled with like at this point 67 um, episodes of like 10 to 20 minutes, uh, just bullshit conversations <laughs> um, mm-hmm. with, uh, some interesting topics and everything. So that's, uh, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And yeah, uh, check that out at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Um, so yeah, so tiny today on the podcast, what are we going to be doing? We are going to talk about the first three episodes of season two of Castle Rock. On Hulu. Yes. Castle Rock, of course, is based on the stories of Stephen King. Uh, yeah, Hulu, second season, three episodes. Very excited to finally get to this point in our podcasting because these episodes aired last year. And in true Tower Junkies fashion, we are late to the game. <laughs> so, Yeah, I will yeah. apologize for that. I think that's mostly my fault because I just... <laughs> I've I really dropped the ball on watching it. So I I appreciate that, but it is equally my fault. <laughs> you know, when you are running a podcast empire, such as what we do here, um, no, I like we're juggling three podcasts, and it's um, a lot. So uh, we'll, we'll, we're getting to it now. So <laughs> if anything, hopefully it's a good uh, excuse for people who maybe haven't checked it out yet to check it out, or if they saw it a while ago and want to revisit it with us, uh, more the merrier. Check it out. So yeah, so we're going to be re- reviewing the first three episodes, but first we do have some news and check-ins to go through um, on this episode of Tower Junkies, Tiny. Um, should I... You said you didn't have any check-ins, am I correct? I don't. Okay. Well, I have enough for both of us. Okay. Um, so check-ins, I, I made some purchases is what I'll say. Um, first... I re-listened to Salem's Lot on Audible, and it was really cool because, like, at one of the moments where kind of the vampire stuff is really starting to happen for, like, the first point in the book, um, it started storming outside, and that was really cool. Um, nice. Yeah. And then uh, I'm currently re-listening to Misery, which I'll talk more about in this episode later. Um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> as I said last time on the podcast, um, by the way, did you listen to my Doomakey review? I have not listened to that yet. Okay. Well, this will be news to you. As I said last time on the podcast, um, 
I made a master list, um, which you actually know about, Tiny, because we were talking about that on Patreon. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that master list is a master list of all of the Dark Tower stuff and related stuff. And I have internally a list of all the Dark Tower stuff that we can do, um, which eventually we will do. Right now we're, we kind of have our hands full, but eventually we will do a Dark Tower read-along series at some point. Um, but until then, <laughs> I have this list, and part of that list has offshoots from books that are related to the Dark Tower series but aren't Dark Tower in and of itself. So like, <laughs> like right before book five of the Dark Tower, I have us listed as reading and reviewing Salem's Lot and then doing the miniseries, like tar- like reviewing the miniseries as we usually do mm-hmm. with those. Um, so, so all that's to say is that that's like episode 30 in this list of like 40 some episodes of podcasting for the Dark Tower. Even if we started it now, we would not get to, like we dropped everything we did and started now and did week to week and everything and actually stuck to it. We would not get to the, to Salem's Lot for like a year. Um, Jeez. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but <laughs> despite that, I bought this, <laughs> A DVD of the 2004 Salem's Lot miniseries with uh, Rob Lowe, and I was very surprised to see that some of the other cast members are Andre Brower, I knew that, uh, Donald Sutherland, Samantha Mathis, Rutger Hauer, and James Cromwell. Huh. Yeah. So I'm excited to check that out, and then in like a year or two, uh, <laughs> like review it <laughs> at <laughs> some point. Um, but I'm excited about that. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I have the original 1979 miniseries on Voodoo. So I might actually just watch them um, just for funsies since I just reread the book. Um, Okay. Yeah. And then I also purchased um, (laughs) this paperback edition of, again, this, uh, no, this isn't related to um, The Dark Tower, uh, Cycle of the Werewolf. Okay. Which is cool because it has these very cool illustrations in them um, that I really like. I'm showing Tiny. We're... Uh, oh, cool! Yeah, we are. Um, who's who's the illustrator? Is anyone famous? Uh, Bernie Wrightson, who I think I can't remember which. I think he did one of the illustrated editions of um, the Dark Tower series. But I can't okay, remember cool. which one, um, or which several. I don't know. Um, okay, but yeah, uh, I'm very excited to check that out at some point. <sighs> Sweet. And, yeah, and then what else? Um, <laughs> so I. <laughs> I have two other things, and then we can move on. Um, <laughs> okay, I pre-ordered. Uh, I pre-ordered Sleeping Beauties, the graphic novel. Um, hmm. The collection of it uh, is going to come out in October, so I pre-ordered it on Amazon. I was mm-hmm. going to, as kind of as a gag gift, but as like a, like a real gift, I was going to pre-order it for you too and have it shipped to you because <laughs> I know <laughs> how much you love Sleeping Beauties. <laughs> Oh gosh. Well, I might appreciate the graphic novel better. Nice. I agree. I agree. So in October, you might be receiving some mail. <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, I talked about, I think I talked about this last time on the podcast. Uh, I read Nosferatu by Joe Hill and I've been kind of wondering if I should do like, uh, like even just a solo like review of Nosferatu in the first season of the show on Shudder. Um, and then I started making the master list and then the master list, I included all of Joe Hill's stuff or all of his, most of his stuff and everything. And then I started thinking like, oh, I could do just, just like go through Joe Hill stuff also. Um, and I ordered this, which is Joe Hill, the graphic novel collection, 
Um, oh, cool. Yeah, it's very, it's a lot. Like, uh, it's surprisingly uh, a thick, a thick collection. Um, How many books is it? It's got five graphic novels. There's The Cape, uh, The Cape 1969, Thumbprint, Kodiak, and Wraith. Uh, Wraith is a uh, spinoff or a uh, offshoot of Nosferatu. Sweet. So, so yeah. So maybe I'll read and review that, and then review Nosferatu, and then review the show. Um, do you have Shutter Tiny? I do not. Okay. Well, maybe I can, if you if you're interested in checking out Nosferatu, um, I can give you my login and everything. Okay. Um, yeah. So those are my check-ins. Yes. Yes. Cool. Those are my check-ins. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, let's go into some news. Are you ready for some news, Tiny? I am ready. Okay, did you have any comments on my check-ins? Any, like, intervention you want to do? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous of your oh, swag nice. or your, uh, your your gets. <laughs> yes, my my recklessly disposable income. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I said a little bit, yeah. I oh, a little bit. I can't, I can't wait till they open up overtime again so oh, I can start. Yeah. Having a little more disposable income. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, actually, to a peek behind the curtain, the reason why I was able to get these is because you remember how I told you at some point, I, uh, I think on Patreon, I told you that I had uh, pre or I had ordered a uh, Criterion collection of I think twenty five samurai films, the the Blind Swordsman's uh, Zatoichi, the Blind Swordsman. Yes. Okay. So I ordered that. That's like a $200 like Blu-ray set. Um, I ordered it when Jesus. I got, I know <laughs> I ordered it when I got my bonus at work. Um, and I was all excited about it and then it went on back order. So like the way that I ordered it, the way that I kind of order things on Amazon, especially when I like pre-order stuff is I'll just buy like a gift card and then use the gift card. Cause they'll deduct the gift card amount immediately. So like I, that way I'm not like, oh, I'll have this amount of money in my account on this day, so I'll go ahead and pre-order this and then <laughs> not have that amount and then have a panic attack. <laughs> so I'll do the gift card thing. And uh, Good Lord. Yeah. And it's really good. But I did that with Zatoichi, and it's like $200, and like it just has it. Like I ordered it in, I think, March? No, I ordered it in February. It was supposed to ship in March, and then it was just like unavailable. We'll let you know when it's when it's available. And then like it's May now, and I'm like, I don't need it. It's I'm fine. It's okay. So I just yeah. canceled the pre order, and then just like a windfall of two hundred dollars in my in my Amazon gift card <laughs> account. So okay. So that's how I got uh, the disposable income for this. So gotcha. I completely agree about uh, gift cards. That's a great mm -hmm. way to oh yeah, like kind of bank up some money for a specific purchase. Totally. Like I do, I have on Amazon an auto reload thing. So every every payday, I automatically it automatically takes from my from my uh, bank account over to uh, Amazon. It throws fifteen dollars into my gift card balance. Nice. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a good Very way to cool. kind of yeah, good way to kind of stack up. Sweet. And yeah. Also. Yeah. yeah. By the way, um, the website looks good. Like I. Uh, oh, nice. I hadn't hopped on there. Hadn't hopped on there in a while. I like the like kind of burnt orange reddish background. 
Nice. Yeah, it's funny. I <laughs> okay. Uh, I just redesigned it. Well, I say redesign it, but I'm not a web designer by any stretch. It's a fuck. It's a free WordPress site, <laughs> so like, right. I have like a handful of WordPress themes I can use, and I can customize okay. the color. <laughs> That's about gotcha. it. Gotcha. But for the longest well, time, we it- had. For the longest time, we had a certain one, and then like I was just like, okay, I'll like look and see what the other options are, and then I saw that one. And I was like, oh, I wonder how that'll look, and then I hit a button, and it automatically switched over to it. And I'm like, oh, I guess this is our theme now. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked out all right. I, I liked it. That's great. Yeah, I think it looks good. Nice. Thank you. Um, yeah. So Stephen King news. Uh, yeah. Are we ready to break down some news, Tiny? Yes, sir. All right. So the, I have a list of things. Um, the first thing I want to bring up is kind of it's it's a cheeky little thing that uh, Mike Flanagan tweeted. So someone had <laughs> someone tweeted at him and said, "Dear at Flanagan Film, why do you hate hands so much?" <laughs> sincerely, uh, uh, sincerely, everyone who watches your movies. <laughs> And he had he retweeted it and said, Dear everyone, I don't. Oculus injured eyes, nails, and mouths. Hush is my only hand injury, but also has legs, necks, and eyes. Gerald's game degloving is from the book. Doctor Sleep hand injuries in the book as well. Uh, those are Stephen King's fault. <laughs> and then he said, But now I'll do it because it's funny. <laughs> nice and then i retweeted that and i was like as soon as i heard the revival news i tried to remember if there's a hand injury scene anywhere in it Um, nice and he actually replied to it and i I loved this he just said there is now (laughs) i was like that's awesome that's great that's great have you seen oculus i haven't is it good I haven't seen it either. I, okay. It's the only thing he's made I haven't seen. Yeah, uh, same here, except for Haunting of Hell House, which I'll get to. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Cool. With my ocular... I don't know. Um, anyway, <laughs> so Stephen King news. Uh, moving right along. On May 4th, the New York Times published a piece saying, The Essential Stephen King. If you've never read his books, here's where to start. Um don't really have any comment for that. Just saying that, hey, this thing is out there. I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we've we've talked about it before, Tiny. But uh, gun to your head, um, gun with sandalwood grips to your head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, where would you tell someone who's never read King to start? Mm. Um, I think you got to go with like a tentpole kind of, you know one of his big properties. And I think the stand and it are too intimidating. They're too mm-hmm. long, but I think the shine, I just think the shining because it's so, because it's the shining. It's like mm-hmm. the, the property is the biggest, I'd say probably most famous, uh, property in his, in his, uh, career. You know, it, it's because of the movie, unfortunately, mm-hmm. But I also want to sort of course correct the pop culture vision that is The Shining and bring people to Stephen King's true vision through the book and Mike Flanagan's movie. Um, As much as, you know, we've we've talked about The Shining a lot for the last year, year and a half. Um, But you you guys know how we feel about it. But yeah, I think that'd be a good place to start just to kind of it's it's a good place to start in general. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's 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 not too long. It's got a lot of great characterization it's scary as shit yes um and it's just a fantastic book 
I totally agree, and that would probably be my pick as well. It's where I started. It was my first Stephen King book. Uh, I think it? Misery would be a good one too. Yes, y- yes, y- yes, um, yes. Which, which I kind of say because that's the first book I ever read. So nice. Um, <laughs> or Christine may have been. I don't even remember anymore. Was it Christine or Misery? I want to say yours was Christine. I think it was Christine. Yeah. Um, but with me, like. Uh, <laughs> I would say misery would be a good one too, but also there's like, I was listening to it today and there's like, there's a very long, like hour long passage in the audiobook where it's just misery, misery's return. Like it is. I know. I forgot about book. that. Um, which is fine. Like it's good. Um, but I, I adore that book so much. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, I would say gun with the sandal, sandalwood grips to my head. I would say pet cemetery. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a great one too. Yeah, I would say Pet Cemetery because it gets the nuance of the characters so well, and it's it's the kind of horror that I want out of King because it's empathetic horror. Um, mm-hmm. It draws you into the characters and everything. So yeah, that would be my pick. That's a good pick too. Nice. So yeah, so check that uh, check out that article on the New York Times, and then also uh, King made an appearance on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's about a nine minute video where they're just chatting. Uh, Colbert asked King uh, which of his characters would he not want to be quarantined with, <laughs> um, and we had a little bit of fun with that in the Patreon section of this episode. So check that out at Patreon.com/slash/ObsessiveViewer, but also check out the uh, YouTube link to the Late Show. Um, clip that i'll put in the show notes um tiny you didn't get a chance to see that clip did you i watched a little bit of it yes did you like it yeah pretty cute yeah i will say this uh i think he's what 72 73 at this point stephen king looks good like he looks he looks healthy he looks he looks good he does yeah so yeah Uh, i love colbert too oh Uh, he's got a he's it's funny because he's like uh he's a huge nerd but like (laughs) nerdy nerdiness has gone kind of mainstream now and mm-hmm. so he's just a great ambassador for nerddom i think yes oh I he can ner- he can nerd out over cool shit like he has well that's let me rephrase he can nerd out over stuff that's not comic books and right. science fiction like he can nerd out over i heard like there's a video of him nerding out with like chance the rapper about rap music like, oh that's awesome like i mean he's just he's just one of those guys he's one of those people he's an obsessive person like we are so Careful. <laughs> Tread <laughs> lightly. <laughs> Obsessive your trademark. Obsessiveviewer.com. <sighs> Steven, if you want to come on the show. Oh, yes. Either Steven. <laughs> yes, either Steven. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, and then, okay, so the last piece of news I have, and then we can go into our long-awaited reviews of Castle Rock. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Final piece of news is that Stephen King and Joe Hill's novella, Throttle, uh, which was, I think, originally released on Kindle. I think it was like a Kindle single or whatever. Um, And then it was collected in Joe Hill's uh, short story collection, Full Throttle, which came out, I think, last year. Yeah, last last year. Um, That is getting a film adaptation for, drumroll please, I guess, Um, (laughs) HBO Max. Oh, cool. Yes. So are you familiar with Throttle or have you read it or anything? Not familiar with it at all. Okay, same here. I know it's about a biker gang, I think, but that's about it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'll read it eventually, obviously, but um, that's cool. Are you going to get HBO Max or do you have any interest in HBO Max? 
Uh, we'll see. I'm okay. not sure. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I uh, I have HBO HBO Go, obviously, um, or I have HBO as an add-on subscription to Amazon, but I actually canceled that and then switched over to an add-on subscription to Hulu because that, from what I've read, will automatically convert to HBO Max when HBO Max launches. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, so... Cool. So... Are they going to have HBO Go and HBO Max, like two separate streaming services? Oh, uh, yes, I think. I don't um, understand this. I Why would they do this? I don't know. I think HBO Max is more for the Warner Brothers kind of back catalog, like library that they have. Um, so that's kind of their bread and butter, like Warner Brothers and uh, Warner Brothers. <laughs> so like, hmm. I think they're going to have like all of the Harry Potter movies and stuff, but they're also going to have like HBO stuff. It's weird. It's really weird. I, hmm. I don't know. Um, it would have been better if they would have named it something different. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I, I don't know, but I know that if you have like an HBO subscription through HBO or Hulu, it will convert to like HBO Go and HBO Max together or something. So, yep. Um, okay, it's gotcha. confusing. So yes, yeah, so yeah. that's that's all that I have for news. Um, I do okay. want to say real quick, sorry, before we get started in the reviews and everything. I do appreciate the feedback that we got on the last episode of on Duma Key. Um, long time coming <laughs> for me to review that damn book. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we got some good feedback and I really appreciate you guys listening and, uh, providing feedback and everything. So that was cool. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you think of Duma Key, by the way, Tiny? Uh, I, I was really into like the major, like the body of, of the movie Mm -hmm. or the book. Um, like, you know, the first 250 out of 300 pages or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I I was really into, I like the characterization and all that stuff, but, um, the ending was just too weird. And just yeah. like I couldn't really wrap my head around what was going on. I think it was yeah. just kind of kind of screwy. Um, but everything leading up to that, I enjoyed quite a bit. Nice. Um, I had pretty similar thoughts. You can check out the review, obviously. Um, one of our actually new listeners, um, Chris, tweeted at me. Um, I'm scrolling. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So uh, Chris on Twitter. Um, I, I tweeted like when I was recording, uh, I paused it and was like in between the non-spoiler and spoiler review. And then I tweeted, Hey, I'm finally recording this episode. Uh, let me know what you thought of Duma Key. I'm about to record the spoiler se- section. Um, but this was at like 10 o'clock at night <laughs> on like a Saturday night, I think. Um, but in quarantine. So, you know, whatever. Anyway. So Chris said, uh, in my top 10 for sure, such a nuanced and mature story, wonderful characters, evil is not really personified, but instead just sinister. Nice, subtle Dark Tower references, i.e. evil is red. And he said, I'd cast John Slattery as Wireman. Uh, he narrated the audio brilliantly. And Flanagan, uh, Mike Flanagan to direct. Um, mm. So yeah, so I... I I I responded and said that Slattery would make a good wireman. I pictured him for Edgar though, and uh, I I just really have this intense feeling of like Wendell Pierce would be a great wireman uh, bunk from The Wire. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. And then uh, Chris followed up with a tweet and said, "Hey, great show. Well done. First time I've listened to TJ and all, and most enjoyable." I obviously enjoyed the book more than you, but all your points were valid. I'm off to watch more of Castle Rock season two now. Long days, pleasant nights. And then 
I thought this was really nice. He said, uh, uh, P.S. You are not an imposter. <laughs> Remember, we are they. Uh, because in the episode I mentioned uh, how there's a part where Edgar Fremantle is giving a giving a presentation or a speech in front of the art community, and it's I was like I was really taken with it because it's a really great like imposter syndrome moment, <laughs> and like I made the remark that <laughs> which is something I'm familiar with because I'm a podcaster. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, anyway, uh, so yeah, so thank you, Chris, for the feedback. Also, a uh, longtime listener and friend of all of our shows, uh, Robert in Utah, he said that he listened to it and was not expecting it to be inspirational <laughs> as it was um, because I talked a little bit about my mental health in it. So uh, yeah, so it was, a, it was a good episode. I'm glad that it could have, uh, that it provided a pick me up for Robert as well. Um, and yeah, I'm glad people enjoyed it. Nice. Okay. So are you ready, Tiny? Yeah. Okay. So I think you know what's going to happen now. Um, <laughs> actually, no, because we have preamble to go through. Um, shit. No. You know what? I'll do it. Um, I think you know what's going to happen, Tiny. I think <laughs> we are about to record uh, our review of Castle Rock Season 2, Episodes 1, uh uh, one through three, and of course, we can't do that without playing our amazing theme music for Castle. King Review that. I hate you. <laughs> I love it so much. I've waited like a year to do this. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh my God. I love it so much. And Tiny, we have four episodes reviewing Castle Rock Season 2 like that we are planning for the podcast. I will say that if you that if you listen to each episode that we do, you will hear a surprise. Um, oh, boy. Not this one, but listen to the next one. Um, okay. Okay, so that is our theme music for our Castle Rock reviews, Castle Rock Season 2. Um, quick synopsis from IMDb. Castle Rock is based on the stories of Stephen King. The series intertwines characters and themes from the fictional town of Castle Rock. Uh, season 2 is comprised of 10 episodes that aired from October 23rd, 2019 to December 11th, 2019 on Hulu. The season starred Lizzie Kaplan as Annie Wilkes, Tim Robbins as Pop Merrill, Paul Sparks as Ace Merrill, as well as Elsie Fisher, Barkad uh, Abdi, and Yusra Warsama. Um, so tiny. Um... As I said, Annie Wilkes is a huge part of this season. <laughs> yep. So I think we would be remiss if we didn't uh, both both Annie Wilkes and the town of Jerusalem's Lot are are big po points of the uh, season this season on Castle Rock. So before we get into our review of the first three episodes, uh, let's talk a little bit about our feelings about Misery and Salem's Lot. Um, do you want to take us with your uh, thoughts on Misery? Yes, yeah, so Misery is a book I read very early on. I was t 
teenager, like probably 13, 14 years old. And uh, I really, really, really loved the book. And it's sort of become my new The Shining because I haven't read it since. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, and I really need to because um, I it, like I hold it. I think it's uh, I think it's it's pretty high on my top nineteen list um, because I I I hold it in such high regard and I have a, a great memory of it. Um, but I I think the isolation of that book. Mm-hmm. How how the you have these two characters that are so isolated um, is just like the perfect environment for Stephen King to thrive and his writing style to thrive, uh, since he's such a character driven author. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> just just those two characters are just so perfectly formed in that in that novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I have it. I have it as my number two. Gosh, I, I forgot it was that. Yeah. I forgot it was that high. Jeez. Um, I stand by that for the moment. It's uh, it's one of my favorites, and I I have got to read it again because I can't um, I can't even articulate how much I like it because I'm still processing it through the lens of like a 13, 14 year old. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. We uh, we'll have to cover it um, soon. I think um, mm-hmm. it's I mean it's it's one of my absolute favorites. Um, I don't know offhand where I have it on my top 19, but let me check that real quick because I have it, the information right here. Um, so I have it, I have misery at number. Oh God, I have it at number five. Um, nice. Yeah. It's, it's pretty high up, but it's such a, it's such a tough, tough, uh, Top five, really, because I mean, I have at number five, Misery, number four, Pet Cemetery, number three is Wizard and Glass, number two is It, and number one is 112263. So, like, that's a very, very solid uh, top five. Um, yeah. But Misery just blew me away every time I've read it. I've read it maybe two or three times at this point, three times at least. And it just, it blew my mind because it is such an incredibly, uh, personal story it's it seems it is very much about the relationship between artist and uh, artist and fan and it is like it is like <laughs> um i mean annie wilkes is like the prototypical uh toxic fan um <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um so yeah it's it's yeah i mean it, it's incredible it's nuanced the character of annie wilkes is just legendary um yeah i I love it i love it so we'll we'll cover it at some point uh soonish maybe i don't know um yeah uh yeah so that's misery we'll talk about it in more depth uh later in the life of this podcast um also gotta say one of the best stephen king adaptations as well um Mm-hmm. Yes. So next up, uh, just briefly, what did you think of Salem's Lot? Um, and how long ago did you read that one? Uh, it's been several years since Salem's Lot, probably close. I don't know about 10 years, but mm-hmm. probably pretty close. Um, I, I like it well enough. I think, um, it's, you know, it was sort of King's take on a kind of a standard vampire story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I like it for for its for its purity in that regard because it's a t- like a tentpole of horror, you know, kind of a, a um, 
when you think of the horror genre, you think of Dracula. You know, uh, yeah. it's it's a classic horror story. Um, so to see him delve into that subgenre is pretty was satisfying, and he did he did a good job with it for sure. But um, vampires just aren't something I'm especially into. I guess mm-hmm. the as as a story. Um, so for that reason, I was a little detached from it. But um, there's a lot of great writing in it, though. I, I love. Um, uh, I, there's a scene that I I don't know if we talked about on the on the podcast. We did. But, uh, but go ahead. Sorry. Okay. He kind of gives like a moment by moment breakdown of what's going on yeah. around the whole town from several different perspectives. It's just mm-hmm. such a fun, a fun creative thing that I don't think he's replicated since. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of funny to see it in a a book like that. Yeah. Uh, but I also think the main character is just a little forgettable. Yeah, I, I think most of the characters are kind of forgettable, to be honest. Um, yeah. There's – oh, my God, I just read this book. Um, there's uh, um, uh, Ben Mears as the teacher or the, the writer who comes into, comes into town. And then we've got Matt um, Burke – Right. Yeah. Um, who's like the wise teacher. And it's kind of like these these characters, they kind of like reading it now after having watched the original Dracula, um, which you can read my review on obsessiveviewer.com. I'm doing the Universal Classic Monsters reviews. Um, but it's like it's very much like archetypes of characters from Dracula. Like it is it is King riffing on Bram Stoker's Dracula in like the like the clearest sense of the term <laughs> like um like they even mentioned that uh that matt seems like he he gives like a like he gives instructions to the group to to stop uh how to stop barlow and yeah barlow um it's uh mm-hmm. and like i think um Ben says to Mark Petrie or whoever, he's he's like, did he remind you of anyone? And then he's like, yeah, he reminded me of Dr. Van Helsing. It's like, okay, yeah, that's, uh-huh. I mean, that's cool. Like, yeah, that's awesome. But it's also like, it's too much of a riff on Dracula without being too much of a uniquely Stephen King thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a good, yep. good analysis. Yeah, and we'll talk about it more in like two years. But... <laughs> <laughs> But it did give us Father Callahan, so I love it for that. That it did. Yes. That it did. Yes. Oh, Pear Callahan. Um, so yeah, so that's our those are our thoughts on Salem's Lot and Misery. So let's go into our review of season two, episodes one through three of Castle Rock. Um, but we're gonna go ahead and review episode one, the premiere episode. Uh, I'm so sorry. Um, the episode title is. I can't. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, wow, that was so bad. <laughs> and I'm sitting on a couch that is like against a shared wall. <laughs> Not shared for long. Nope. Nope. So. <laughs> So I'm going to be homeless. <laughs> Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, <laughs> so, so the premiere episode was Let the River Run. Uh, it aired October 23rd, 2019. The plot um, is a nurse gets waylaid in Castle Rock. 
Um, writer for this episode was Dustin Thomason, who is one of the showrunners of the show. And director was Gren... Uh, oh, wow, I don't know, Gren? Um, it was Greg Yatanis, who directed season one's The Queen. Um, nice. Incredible episode. Mm-hmm. And he also directed an episode of the new uh, Twilight Zone reboot on CBS All Access from season one, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. Oh, so tiny. Um, overall thoughts on "Let the River Run." Um, I th- I thought it was okay. I really liked the opening scene. I think the uh, the creepiness of them rolling into Castle Rock was creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like some nice set work there, um, and sort of the introduction of Annie Wilkes was uh, was pretty cool and kind of kind of gripped you in right away. Yeah. Um, but, um, I feel like, I feel like there's just not enough, these first three episodes, there's not enough given to really hook me in. I, I'm not, I feel like if they were just, if we were focusing on a a couple characters, Mm -hmm. it'd be fine. But I feel like there's just, there's too much at play here. There's too much going on. I I really don't know, or the, it's not even it's not even there's too much going on. It's just that there's not enough development mm-hmm. going on, and it's it's not they're not linking everything together well enough for me. And I was mostly just kind of biding my time throughout these first three episodes. Um, throughout the first three episodes as a whole, holy crap! Wow. Okay. Yeah, I I do have some good things to say about episode three, but uh, okay. But but yeah, that's that's sort of an overall mm-hmm. feeling. Interesting. So I, you know, uh, to be honest, like I'm the first episode was okay. It was a good introduction. I think that it was, it was a good way to bring us into this iconic character um, in a different way than what we've know from her. Cause I mean, she has a kid and like, it, it's a good way to introduce her. Cause we have just a montage where she's going into hospitals and she's stealing antipsychotics and everything. And so it's an interesting way to bring us into Annie Wilkes as a character in this version of her story because she's aware that she has these these delusions and she has this this the this mental illness and she's working to better herself or she is she is like making the choice to to create like uh you know to keep it at bay and everything for her daughter's sake. It's just an interesting kind of different viewpoint to have of this Annie Wilkes character who, as we've said, is one of the like best villains of Stephen King's career. Like she is such an incredible character as an antagonist in Misery that it's just really interesting to see um, the show riff on that character. Um, but I do I – do, I'll say that I really liked this episode and I'll go kind of, I have a bunch of notes and stuff, so hopefully I don't bore everyone, but there are some things that work and worked and some things that didn't. Um, for instance, uh, she has a vision of a man that is clearly like he's got a hat and he's got blood on his face and eyes and stuff. It's very cool visually. And there's a typewriter sound and like, I remember when watching it, like I know more of the backstory because I've seen eight episodes at this point, but I will say that it kind of broke my brain because I was like, wait, is that, is that supposed to be Paul Sheldon? And I was like, how, how can that be Paul Sheldon? Like how can, like it, it, the timeline, I just couldn't understand it. Um, Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that? Those visions and everything? 
Um, I feel like they were more a distraction than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, ah, man, I really wish I could uh, articulate what about these episodes or about this season so far that I'm just not digging. But um, I, I feel like it's like visually, I agree. It's it's great, and mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what the hell's going on. Um, but I just feel like I'm not getting enough from what they are giving us to like really keep me coming back for it. Um, okay. uh, which is why it took me so long to really get through these episodes. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did sort of have that same thought. Like, is that the author, you know, that right. from the book, you know, I, I had that same thought, but, uh, I feel like they're going a completely different direction with it. And yeah, which, which is good. Cause you know, I'd, I'd rather, I don't know. I'd rather they just have the character of Annie Wilkes as opposed to any kind of backstory from the from the book. You know, I think it'd be right. cool to just make their own Annie Wilkes with her quirks and her mm-hmm. illnesses. Yeah, <laughs> um, her cocky duty quirks and um. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I'm, I'm okay with it. I just I don't know. It just it just feels so disjointed. Mm-hmm. That um, yeah, and and that's a fair point. And I do. I'm very curious what you're going to think as the season progresses, but my kind of disconnect with the season and with the show as a whole or the show thus far, um, and this is kind of a blanket term for the blanket statement for all three episodes, is that I don't find the dynamics of Annie Wilkes and Joy and the also the dynamics of the Merrill family and Abdi and Nadia, I don't find those dynamics and those character interactions nearly as interesting or satisfying as Henry Deaver and the boy and Alan Pangborn and Ruth in season one. Like those were and and Molly Strand as well. Like those were very interesting characters and very interesting and intricate like dynamics at play. And here it's just like, it's, they try to do like the kind of family aspect of it and they try to do this rift in the family, but there's a lot of mystery that hasn't been revealed yet, and it's kind of it kind of doesn't really sit. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't really fit in the in the uh, um, fit in as well as you know Pat last season's dynamics did. Did you? How did you feel about those like those types of character dynamics and everything in, in these first three episodes? In the first episode in particular, I guess. <laughs> Well, I think it's pretty, I think they're pretty standard. Like, um, as far as at least, you know, the overprotective mother thing with, with Annie and Joy, um, Mm -hmm. while I didn't dislike it, um, I I think it is pretty standard and it's, it doesn't have much uniqueness to it yet. Okay. Um, but I do think the whole, um, Pop Merrill with his, his son and I believe Ace is his nephew, correct? Um, they are uh, Ace. Uh, okay, um, Ace and Chris Merrill are brothers. They are the nephews of Pop Merrill. Abdi is the kind of adopted son. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Abdi and then his sister uh, Nadia. Nadia. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And like, mm-hmm. I'm sort of interested in that, and I want to know more about them. But you know, it's sprinkled in with these other these other characters um and yeah. i i sort of like how i think i'm going to really end up liking pop merrill as a character mm-hmm. because i don't know anything about him from the books like right. 
almost nothing. Um, I haven't because he is he in. Um, Hang on, don't tell me. He's okay. in Need, Needful Things. Is that his primary book? I believe, from what I read, I thought that he was a central figure in Needful Things, but I think he's actually just referenced in Needful Things. He okay. is he's he's um, featured heavily, I believe, in the Sun Dog, a short story in um, one of the collections. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I really don't know anything about him. But, me uh, too. I I think I'm going to like him a lot because I feel like he's he's this interesting dynamic because he's got this sort of like mobster crime Lord uh, side to him, but then he's so pleasant and mm-hmm. enjoyable as a father to uh, Nadia. Mm-hmm. And in some of the flashbacks when he's adopting a kids, it's that stuff's really interesting. And that stuff's kind of gripping me a little bit and I'm very interested in it. Nice. Um, but it's just been so little of it so far. Yeah, I definitely get that. I will say Tim Robbins, man. <laughs> I love him. He's Great. so good. Doing that uh, that main accent is just, it's, yeah. it's so good. Um, like that, like one of his first scenes was him saying like, if you tell one of your, one of your rookies to give me another fucking parking ticket, uh, it's just like I I love it I love it, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and I don't have any frame of reference for his character, but man, Tim Robbins is just nailing it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, in my notes for I think another episode, um, I have enlisted that I love Pop Merrill because he's he's like a uh, Pop Merrill is a fun New England crime boss. Um, yeah, and it's just—it's a really cool dynamic to play out in this show. Um, how did you feel? How do you feel about um, Lizzie Kaplan playing Annie Wilkes? And also, um, follow-up question: Paul Sparks as Ace Merrill. Yes, uh, I was really surprised when they announced Lizzie Kaplan for the role, um, which I—I uh, I was surprised but happy because it's something you just wouldn't—you wouldn't expect. Like, right. there's the role is just so iconically uh, filled by Kathy Bates Mm -hmm. uh, to almost perfection. She was so good. Um, It's kind of, it's kind of impossible shoes to fill type situation. So I think you have to go, you have to make a casting call from left field. And I think Lizzie Kaplan was definitely that Um, you and I have been fans of hers for a long time Oh yeah, uh, for both her dramatic and comedic work. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like her a lot, so I was really excited to see her do a really have a really meaty role like this. Yes. Um, and I I think her whole the physical side of it is kind of hard to get into at first because mm-hmm. she's doing that weird penguin walk stuff. Yeah. Um, I would have rather they didn't. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay, yeah. I just I think it's I think it's a distraction, frankly. Um, That's interesting. Because I'm all for it, honestly. But go ahead. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because I think I think her, the physical the physicality of her character comes through in so many other ways with mm-hmm. just by how standoffish she is towards everyone. Yeah. I, I think that's enough, and I think that's really compelling in and of itself. And I I just see that that weird walk as a as a distraction. I appreciate that the fact that they tried to do it, but mm-hmm. I I just think it's too silly. Um, I. I feel like you you referencing it as a penguin walk is going to make me like retroactively kind of it stick out to me when I see it. <laughs> um, and it's just amplified by an awful haircut. Her hair just bounces back and forth like a pendulum on a clock. I'm just yeah. like, how bad? How much worse could you make it? <laughs> but I am all for it, honestly. Like 
in the the kind of cadence that she uses in her voice like like you said when she is like lashing out at people or when she's like standoffish at people um and it's just it's it just feels like really in tune with the character of annie wilkes like she's not necessarily doing a kathy bates impression by my count but she is embodying like what i think the annie wilkes character is really all about and she has like two scenes in this first episode. By the way, we're going to be spoiling each of these episodes individually. So spoilers on for Let the River Run. But um, there are two scenes that I think are just like tour de force, as overplayed as that that term is, uh, tour de force performances for Lizzie Kaplan in this episode alone. Um, the first one is the scene where she is like kind of – warning joy about the people like i think it's when she sees ace and then she's like like she she's having an outburst and it's kind of a manic like like a manic episode and she's like like the ah, the lighting gets like low and it's like really tight on her face and she's like i'll it'll be it'll be um i can't remember the exact words but it's like it'll be it'll be a rainy day when i do this and i die and when i let you get into harm's way and stuff and it's just like the intensity is like that is that is annie wilkes that is that is annie wilkes that we just get a peek at like the monster of annie wilkes pre being a monster um and nice. I love that. And then the other scene is at the end of the episode where she is talking to um, Joy and she's talking about how they're going to – I think it's when they said they're going to stay there for a while. Um, and it's the whole searchers and seekers – or searchers and settlers or I think seekers and settlers. I don't know. Um, that speech at the end where she's just like, your, your grandpa your, – uh, my dad, your grandfather, he was a seeker, and he said, like he said, that there's seekers and there's settlers, and and I'm like my my mama was a settler, and I think I'm a mix of both, and I think that like as long as we have each other, we could have the happy place or the laughing place and stuff. So I don't know, just like the way that she did it, it was just like it's such a it's such a 180 from like her heightened like fragile like creepy crazy <laughs> emotional state. Um, to this nurturing kind of still a little uneasiness um, to it. I just think it's it's a full spectrum that we get of the Annie Wilkes character, and I think it's great to have those two sides of the of the coin in that first episode because it gives us a, re- a fairly re- well rounded view of Annie Wilkes as a character. I think so. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely fair. I I I, I am a fan of her performance. Don't. Don't get me wrong. I just think that walk just kind of takes me out of it. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so how about Paul Sparks? As uh, Yeah, Paul Sparks. Um, he's like the American Gary Oldman, I feel, uh, <laughs> which is maybe a bit too much praise, but he is mm-hmm. such a chameleon actor. Like he can play such a calm, nice guy, but he, he plays bad guys a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, he can, he just, he does a lot of great voice voice work um i i kind of want to know like what his actual voice sounds like like I, so because, do I. <laughs> yeah like I, I you don't really see him in interviews or anything so it's mm. kind of i don't really know what his real voice is like um he's yeah he's he's a great actor mm-hmm. um i've i've never not liked him um yeah and i i mean seeing him like there's no there's no ambiguity to his character. He's like the definition of like a bully yeah. and a very uh 
you you just know he's not a good guy. Right. And, and there, there's no ambiguity to him. And him clashing with Pop Merrill is something I was really kind of looking forward to mm-hmm. for like for the whole season. So. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he is amazing. Um I mean just like like my my go-to um thoughts on on Paul Sparks is like okay, he was Mickey Doyle in Boardwalk Empire and he was also Thomas Yates in House of Cards, like two characters who could not be more different from one another. Yeah. And uh and then now he's Ace Merrill, who is this like like you said he's a, he is a bully. He is a just festering bully and like what i love about his performance is that at all times especially in that first episode it seems like he is he is like just on the cusp of having just an anger outburst (laughs) and like it no matter what he's doing and whatever scene it's like he is just like this simmering like pot of anger and it's just it's like always just on the cusp of boiling over um and it's just like he plays that so well. It's this weird because, like, I mean, you look at Paul Sparks, you don't really see him as that much of an intimidating guy. Like, he's not like a big guy per se. But like, when you see him having that internal kind of battle, like in his performance, it's like he can fuck some shit up. <laughs> like, and, like I don't want to be on his <laughs> bad side. Like, he seems like just an intimidating guy in an unconventional way. Um, I just I love his performance um, in it. Um, and worth mentioning, he, uh, he had replaced Garrett Hedlund, who was going to be Ace Merrill, but I think scheduling conflicts or something had them recast. How do you feel that, um, how do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, I'm a little, I was bummed about it initially cause mm-hmm. I actually, I like Garrett Hedlund a lot too. Yeah. I think he's a really good actor, uh, who hasn't really risen to the heights that I think he can mm-hmm. yet. Um, but I mean, I can't be upset about Paul Sparks getting that role. So. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, kind of to go a little bit around in terms of the plot, um, one of the pivotal moments of the se- of the episode of this first episode is that Annie needs to get pills, and it's and she's an RN at a hospital, and uh, she has to break into Nadia's house <laughs> to uh, get the key card and everything. Um, how do you feel about that whole sequence? It, it's I personally really enjoyed it as a piece of suspense. Like she's already like doing this fucking Hail Mary thing where she is breaking into her boss's house to get a key card so she could steal drugs. Um, and it just escalates from there. Cause Ace firebombs the house while Abdi's in there when Abdi's about to like find Annie. Like, how did you feel about that whole sequence and, and kind of that, uh, big dramatic suspenseful crux of the episode? <laughs> um yeah, it was definitely suspenseful for sure. Um and I I like how like I said my issue with it is everything seems kind of disjointed and out there but things really come together at that uh, I think the endings of all three episodes have some some nice not cliffhangery stuff but like some nice intense moments mm-hmm. where where the storylines come together and that's those are like my favorite parts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is, it's definitely suspenseful and just, it's so over the top, like, holy shit, is she really doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, and as someone who works on access control systems, I'm like, all you have to do is short the strike. It's not that hard. I'm like, <laughs> I'll unlock it. Wow. wow. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> but, uh, no, I'm kidding. Sort of. But anyways, um, 
yeah, like I, I think it's, I, I, I did just again how everything came together, like those three characters all being there at once, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was pretty good and suspenseful. Nice, and uh, I don't have a lot, much else to say about it, really. Sure, and to kind of backtrack a little bit to go back to Pop and Nadia, um, we find out that. Pop Merrill has cancer, and like you said, he has a very tender moment with Nadia, his adopted daughter, um, who he Mm -hmm. has helped raise and put through medical school and everything. They have a really good like back and forth and a good rhythm. I really like the performances of of the two actors in that scene. How do you feel about that, and how do you feel that that's going to inform the rest of the season, Pop having cancer, and uh, yeah, how do you feel about that? I think those are going to be some of my favorite parts because it's going to humanize, humanize the villain, you mm-hmm. know, if, if you will. Uh, and I, I think in the moments where he's being kind of the bad guy, pop is being the bad guy. We're going to think mm-hmm. back to the tender moments that he has with his daughter. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he has cancer is going to, you know, raise the stakes in a lot of situations. And right. um, I'm curious to see how else it's going to come up throughout mm-hmm. the season. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm. I agree. We'll talk more about that character later. But um, I do want to mention. Uh, like, we don't have to harp on this character too much in this episode. I just want to share what I have in my notes. Um, Joy meets a friend at the uh, um, the Stargazer Lodge. Um, one of the other uh, residents there is a young woman who is emancipated. We find out later, but her name is Chance, and I have in my notes. Joy has a chance encounter by meeting <laughs> Chance. Um, oh my god! So uh, I do want to mention that in that scene, uh, Chance mentions that she references witches that witches inhabited the area, and that's something that is kind of referenced here and there throughout the throughout the uh, episode in the season, really. So, how did you feel about kind of the idea of witches and witchcraft being part of the Salem's Lot or Castle Rock history? Um, and again, like in the opening scene uh, with the car where Joy and uh, Annie are driving, um, I do want to mention just like I think you referenced it, but the the uh, the signs that they passed with the with the scarecrows and um, the saying like oh celebrating Castle Rock's 400th anniversary or 400th whatever um, I just I love that but how how do you feel about the idea of witchcraft being part of Castle Rock history? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, I hope they run with that to an extent. Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting. Um, uh, and yeah, that, that's what I was talking about the like the scarecrows and the, the witch stuff, like mm-hmm. the decorations coming into town was really cool. I like that's, that's something that's the oldest part of our country up there, you mm-hmm. know, up in new England. Um, and so I'm fascinated by that part of the country anyways, because of its, mm-hmm. you know, the depth of its history. Yeah. Uh, and so to have that referenced is, is pretty fun. And then we find out later on that it's more like they weren't witches. They were Satanists, which is like a line that pop Merrill has later on, Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy. And like, I, it's something that I hope they get into and like, Mm -hmm. they don't really get into it. The first three episodes, which is kind of (laughs) my problem. Like I want to, I want to learn more about that stuff. I think that's fun. And that's, that's cool. I want to see more about it, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're, they're they're playing with a little, a little too much. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I do want to mention in the second episode when, when 
Pop Merrill says they were Satanists. I just love the way he says, he's like, they made a bad deal with the wrong hombre and they burned for it. I can't do an accent, but anyway, <laughs> um, I just, I, I love it. Um, so let's, yeah. let's wrap up episode one. The ice scoop, Tiny. <laughs> the ice cream scoop. That scene. So I remember when I first saw this episode, when it first aired, um, <laughs> I was gobsmacked by it. Um, just like when, so Ace comes in and, or yeah, Ace comes in and he is kind of threatening um, Annie because he has, you know, he knows who she is. Um, and she just like, fuck, like she hits him in the nuts and then takes the ice cream scoop and like forces it down his throat and then pushes him to the ground and just like palms it deeper into his throat. And he chaw just, Oh, how did you feel about that? Yeah, that was some brutal shit. Yes. Um, really brutal. And I mean, and that's, it, it's not, it's not, um, what's, what's funny about it or what's awesome about it is that it's really not that brutal for Annie Wilkes. Right. When you think about what she does in Missouri. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a super awesome scene. Just mm. the, the tension between those two characters finally coming to a head. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to because Paul Sparks got killed off in the first damn episode. Like, yeah, like really? Like I, just, cause I, I'm a fan of his and like, you know, I was thinking, I was looking forward to his performance throughout right. the season. And like, is he just going to play a dead guy? Like, is he going to be a ghost who haunts her for the next <laughs> eight, ten episodes or whatever? And that's all we're going to get of Paul Sparks. I was like, I really wanted to see more Ace Merrill. And so mm-hmm. it was sort of hard for me to enjoy it that much yeah. for for that reason, um, which is, isn't really fair <laughs> sure. for me as, as a viewer. But, but that's sort of how I, that was my reaction to it um sure. but yeah it was super intense and just not not i did not see that coming at all me me neither me neither if yeah. so good so good mm-hmm. um and then that's not even like the end of the episode because she goes and she tries to hide the body and i i just i love the way that that kind of plays out because she's not, like she goes to the lake first and sees a dude fishing and she's just like nope i'm gonna go to the construction site <laughs> um but I just, I, and then I don't know if it's supposed to be locusts or what it, what it was, but just the ground gives way underneath her. And then all of these like bugs fly up and everything. And that's the end of the episode. I just, I, I love that. How did you feel about the end of the episode in that, in that regard? Yeah. Like I said, the, uh, the endings are really awesome. They give us some cool, like cliffhanger type stuff pretty much every episode, at least the, mm-hmm. these first three that I think are really fun yeah. and uh, I really liked them. Yeah, it was uh, pretty cool and, and good. Uh, a lot of good set work. Yeah. On, on the show as a whole. Um, mm. Just everything, uh, the Emporium Glorium or whatever yeah. it's called, uh, just has a fun, like, uh, what's the word I'm thinking? Um, like a flea market feel to oh, it. Yeah. Okay. Like a, like a fun, like old, like small town flea market feel to it. Um, mm. And uh, I guess uh, the fact that Ace Merrill drives some old, old uh, wrecker, his, uh, yeah. it's not some like shiny new wrecker. It's some old like 1991 wrecker. I don't know. I just, there, there's a lot of aesthetic mm-hmm. um, stuff that I like about the show. I I agree. And uh, like multiple times while watching these episodes, I was thinking, like I meant to look up like, 
where did they film this? <laughs> like, just where is like, what is the Castle Rock and Salem's Lot stand in? Because it just looks beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it just captures that region really well. Um, yeah, so I loved it too. I was very interested to uh, go on uh, to the next episode. And yeah, having said that, do you want to go on to the next episode? <laughs> sure okay well actually before we do that i do have some references and easter eggs to run through if you don't mind yeah so um i'm gonna go kind of chronologically through the episode um i have several so the first one that i have is that in the beginning scene the beginning um of the episode there's a shot where um annie and joy it's during that montage where they're driving across the country there's a shot that's overhead and it's them driving along a lake area and just the way that it's positioned and the kind of the foliage and the landscape and everything around them just looks like it was very much um evocative of the helicopter shots from the beginning of the shining um I don't know if that was an intentional reference on their part and on the show's part, but it just, it made me think of like those shots from the shining. Um, the next thing that I have is, uh, the gas station that Annie stops at is Kelvin gas station, which is a nod to JJ Abrams, one of the uh, executive producers of the show. Um, Kelvin pops up in all of his stuff. Like it was a gas station in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, obviously the USS Kelvin in, uh, Star Trek. Um, and actually his Star Trek movies being called the Kelvin timeline. <laughs> um, huh. so it's a long running thing. Also in Lost, the, one of the characters in season two was named Kelvin. Um, and then also this is super, uh, nerdy. <laughs> But uh, toward the end of the episode, when Annie is transporting Ace's body, uh, she passes by the gas station again, and the price of the gas is two eighty nine, which, if you add those up, is nineteen. Um, ah. Yeah, I don't know if that's intentional or just coincidental, but cause a wheel. Um, <laughs> so, um, also here's this: the town of Jerusalem's Lot is the setting of Salem's Lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Emporium Galorium is featured in the Sundog and Needful Things. Um, the character of Chris Merrill, I don't think he's a character from any books. I think he was created for the show. I'm not sure. Uh, like I said, he is uh, Pop's other nephew. It's He's Ace's brother. Um, uh, Annie and Joy are in cabin 19 of the Stargazer Lodge. And the last reference in Easter egg I have is Annie has a folder on her laptop that's just named uh, romance novels. So <laughs> that's something there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what rating would you give the the first episode of Castle Rock Season 2 out of 10? Um, I'd give it a solid 6.5. Interesting. I would give it an yeah. 8, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. Okay. Nice. Uh, shall we move on to episode two, New Jerusalem? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, or should I say the New Jerusalem? I, that is part of the lyrics of that song. Anyway, episode two, uh, New Jerusalem aired also on October 23rd, 2019. The plot is the Merrill's search for answers. The writer of this episode was Kanan Warsame who is a Somali-Canadian poet, rapper, singer, songwriter, and instrumentalist. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he rose to prominence with the success of his single, Wave and Flag, which was chosen as Coca-Cola's promotional anthem for the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Um, really interesting stuff there. <laughs> yeah, really. 
Yeah, and then director for this episode is Phil Abraham, who directed several episodes of Daredevil, The Defenders, Ozark, uh, Breaking Bad. I think he only directed one episode of Breaking Bad. Uh, Sons of Anarchy and Glow. Wow. Yep. So, uh, yeah, what do you think of New Jerusalem? Again, just kind of okay. I'm not. Sure. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm really not super taken with with the season. Uh, at mm-hmm. least with these first three episodes. Uh, sure. I'm just. I just can't really put my finger on it. There's something that's keeping me from really getting into it. Um, but there's there's some great scenes. I I like. Uh, I like the interaction between, um, Pop and Annie. Kind of have a mm-hmm. little. They kind of. He pop kind of interviews her, confronts yeah. her a little bit. Um, it's 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 fun how quickly he puts things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the the opening scene is pretty awesome where she's kind of yeah. We find out you know going through the the Marston home, the old mm-hmm. Marston home uh, from Salem's Lot, which is a, such a cool fun horror trope uh, yes. that there's the scary haunted house in in the town, you know. That's such a fun, such a fun concept to play with. Uh, yes, and that's one thing I did enjoy about Salem's Lot, the book, mm. uh, is that there's this old haunted house in this this sleepy little main town. Mm. Um, and uh, I was I was glad to see it make an appearance in the in the show. Same here, and I like I have in my notes the cold open reveal of the Marston house is just exquisite. Like <laughs> I thought that was just beautiful. Um, just it, it's just it's so great like that scene where she gets out of the house and like the camera's over like oh like from behind her and shows like the hill and like like overlooking all of Salem's lot and then as she walks past the gate we see like the camera kind of focus or come into frame we see the the uh um the wow plaque <laughs> the sign that says Marston um just and then right into opening credits. I did, I thought that that was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I thought, uh, yeah, I thought it was just, it was well done. And then we also get a flashback to pop in the military in Somalia. Um, yeah, it's okay. Um, I wasn't too engaged with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's just not, there's nothing there yet. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And it's, it's intrig. It's, it's like, base level intriguing like it's not it's not the most interesting part of the uh of the season thus far and what sucks is that it is pivotal to uh several of the key players in the season and they're kind of not really doing their due diligence with setting it up as an intriguing piece of backstory in my opinion um yeah and that's where the show's kind of faltering for me a little bit right and instead of actually like developing that backstory and and having that being an intrig an intriguing thing, the show tries to make Ace's um, jealousy of Abdi kind of the focal point, especially in this episode. Like there are two scenes, and I feel it's too redundant, but it's like there are two scenes. There's a flashback where we see Chris and Ace uh, overhearing um, Pop with. Nadia and Abdi and he's like introducing them to milkshakes and stuff and he's being like a great like father figure to them and like we see like young A saying like where's my fucking milkshake and like that's Mm -hmm. fine that's that's fine it's kind of I mean it's kind of just 
I wouldn't say cliche, but it's just kind of a broad kind of thing. Um, but then we get kind of a double down thing where we see another flashback. I think there's a, this was the flashback in 2014 where Pop is at, uh, asking Abdi if he wants to be adopted so that, you know, to ensure the business and everything. Um, and we see again, like we see Ace just kind of overhearing them and everything and, and then walking away. It's like we don't. I don't feel like we need that, like those two scenes. Like it's too redundant. Like it would have been better if we, if they developed the mystery around Pop and uh, his military past instead of kind of doubling down on, uh, excuse me, doubling down on uh, the jealousy of a character that we just saw die, <laughs> even though he kind of comes back. But we saw him die. Like we don't, I don't really think we really need that, um, that rift, especially when the first episode kind of, established that he doesn't like they don't like each other so i don't know yeah i wasn't super into it either i think it is good character work but um i agree with you that it doesn't really drive anything forward that well um as much as i did enjoy the whole little scene where he's giving him the milkshakes and he Mm -hmm. tries to tell his sister she wouldn't like it and stuff like that and it it just kind of demonstrates how the acumen of Pop Merrill again, mm-hmm. how he sort of, even though there's a huge language barrier, he understands the dynamic of what he was doing to his sister. It's it's yeah. fun and it's cute and it it's also speaks to the character well. Um, yeah. So I did I did like it for that. And you can kind of um, see Pop kind of coming alive when in terms of parenting with with them, and that's something right. that gives a little bit more uh, of a uh, tenderness to his character. Um, in a yeah. way that, you know, wouldn't really be expected. So I appreciate it for that. But I think in the grand scheme of things, it also, it kind of, it's, they're juggling too many, too many threads for this particular family dynamic and they're not really doing it. I'll say that they're not doing it as well as they juggled the threads of Henry, Ruth and Alan Pangborn in season one. That was very interesting storytelling. This is just a little bit sloppy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, let's talk about the scenes with uh, Pop Merrill confronting Annie and then also Pop Merrill confronting Abdi. Um, kind of two sides of the similar coin there. Um, first, he confronts Annie and she lies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very convincingly. How'd you feel about that scene? We kind of touched on it a little bit already, but uh, anything more specific you want to talk about with that scene, that interrogation scene? Um. I just liked it a lot. I, I loved how, I don't know, given her sort of innocence is the wrong word, but her um, sort of her projection of lightness and how she tries to be, Annie tries to be this like uh, very driven towards like like a right way of life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's Christian, you know, she's very Christian yeah. and stuff like that. Um Despite the fact that that's her default posture in life, mm-hmm. she falls into this really convincing lie at the drop of a hat. Yes. Like, and just to see see that deception was pretty good. And I really loved Lizzie Kaplan and Tim Robbins working together in that scene. Yeah. Uh, and just the fact that, you know, they've sort of spent a couple episodes demonstrating how street smart and like worldly pop Merrill is, you know, he's a no bullshit guy, Mm -hmm. crime kind of guy and stuff like that. And you would think 
he'd be one of those kind of guys who's like, oh, I know when somebody's lying to me. Right. And he totally just hook, line, and sinker buys yeah. what she, this lie that he that he lays out for her. And I just thought yeah. that was a really cool scene, actually. That, that stuck out to me a lot. I totally agree. And uh, I think the way you put it where she's projecting this error, like this lightness to her character and her this innocence, I guess, um, like that is per- that is Annie Wilkes in this in the show. That is perfect. It, yeah. Um, yeah. It's and it's kind of chilling because like she just murdered this guy, <laughs> right? And she's like she's at like you said at the drop of a hat. It's just it's really good. And she's not broken up about it. Like no. she's oh, no. she's her only worry with it is that she doesn't want to get caught. She right. doesn't feel remorse. I don't think for having killed no. the guy. Yeah. Uh, which well, is was, fun. To be fair, he was a dirty birdie. And uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so kind of the other interrogation scene that kind of is the end of the episode. We'll circle back and talk about some more of the other stuff there. But uh, Pop has Abdi kidnapped and tied to a chair, and he threatens him with uh, with Ace's dog. How do you feel about that interrogation scene? That kind of that that dynamic in contrast to his confrontation with Annie. That was also uh, pretty pretty good. Um, I think the character of Abdi and the actor Barkat Abdi uh, is is pretty underused so far. Yeah, um, he's really just been a backboard for Ace Merrill mm-hmm. to you know bounce his hatred off of. He has there's not much to him yet, um, and so that scene could have meant a lot more mm-hmm. if his character was a little more developed. Um, yeah, yeah, but but he wasn't. But at the same time, I really liked it. Me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I and love I, Tim Robbins in it. Like, just he's so good. Oh yeah, totally. And and I think it's fun because like, his, uh, Pop Merrill threatening him with the dog mm-hmm. was great because it's like it's like right on the threshold of what Abdi thinks he might be capable of. Yeah. And you can kind of see that on his face, like you know, he's he's Abdi's seeing himself as someone who's sort of untouchable, mm-hmm. and and uh, he you know he he even says it in the scene. He's like, "You're not going to hurt me. Right. Um, I know you're not going to hurt me." Um, and I think there's some underlying stuff that we're supposed to sort of mm-hmm. uh, intuit from that. Yeah. Well, Abdi says that you're not going to hurt me, or. Um I know you're not going to do anything because if you do anything, I'm going to tell Nadia the truth. And we don't know what that truth is. And that's that I think undercuts the suspense and, and undercuts the um, dynamic of that. Like I have in my notes, pop threatens him with the, <laughs> okay. So I'm, I made my notes and this is how I made my notes. Um, pop threatens him with the doggy. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think this works that well because it's contingent on the family dynamic, but also the secrets that the show hasn't revealed yet. It's really easy to infer the secrets. Like it, I think it's kind of obvious. Um, if you, if you pay attention to like the show, but the show hasn't revealed them yet. So we're in limbo. Like we, like we we're in limbo as in terms of like how damaging is the information that Abdi has about pop to Nadia and like, is that what is at play here? <laughs> like, we don't know anything uh, right. concrete, and that kind of undercuts the the emotional impact of that scene. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but then Pop passes out and has has a seizure, so that was yeah. cool. <laughs> um, Raises the stakes a little bit. Yep, yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what other stuff. Um. Uh, we, it's revealed in this episode that Nadia and Chris kind of had a thing. 
Um, and Crystal wants to get with Nadia, um, which is mm-hmm. interesting because they are adopted related. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So that that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that might honestly be some like some of the only the notes that I have for it. Is there anything else we can talk about in, in episode two? I have like one more bullet point to run through, but anything you want to touch on? Uh, no, not really. Not nothing okay. that jumps out. <laughs> okay. Well, the last part of this review of this episode of the, of, of Castle Rock is that, in, uh, uh, joy falls down and hurts her hand. Um, the stitches open from the car accident. And so Nadia stitches her up and everything. And she's kind of like, she's kind of trying to subtly like understand what's going on with, with Annie. And she's like, like she, she puts the seed in, in Joy's head that Annie isn't telling her the truth, like about having to, uh, having her, her nurse's license, like having her moving to different States all the time because of her nursing license and going out of like whatever. Um, so Annie and, uh, Annie tells Joy in the car that she's trying to protect her and Joy confronts her and then runs inside. Um, how did you feel about that kind of confrontation? Did any, did anything speak to you about that with, with Joy kind of finally like asking her directly, like, do you like what, what's going like, tell me the truth or whatever. Like, did that sit with you at all? Uh, yeah, could, because it's, it's funny. We've barely talked about Joy at all. We really haven't. Um, yeah. And Elsie Fisher, you know, uh, um, because we were both very taken by her uh, kind of debut performance yes. with eighth grade. Um, we both really liked that movie and uh, she was fantastic in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and up, up to this point, this character, the character of Joy has just been so one note and, yeah. and very... Um, just really uninteresting. And I think yeah. that that shows with the fact that we haven't felt the need to mention her yet. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is a shame. We'll talk more about her when we talk about episode three, but in this, mm-hmm. like the first two episodes, she's, she's very underplayed and it's, it's to the detriment, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. She, fi- she finally starts to come into her own at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. And really she, she starts to find her own identity, I guess, where yeah. she, she starts asking questions and thinking critically, you know, yep. uh, that's, <laughs> what makes her a more interesting character and uh yeah i I like with that she finally starts to confront her mom and yeah it it it, again it makes it makes it more interesting i agree and the tension of that is kind of ratcheted up after joy goes into the cabin because annie then sees ace and that's the end of the episode um yeah how'd you feel about that kind of reveal like like you said how How'd you feel about that kind of the ending of it, the kind of cliffhanger ending? I know that you said that you liked the way the episodes ended. How did you like this one in particular? Uh, it, it was pretty cool. Um, again, I'm a little bummed to just think that Paul Sparks is going to play a dead guy for another eight episodes and just kind of show <laughs> up in the background as a a specter, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a, a character or like a just a visual sign basically. And that's yeah. what worried me. Um, but still pretty effective. You know, the fact that she's, <laughs> there's really, there's either something really wrong with her or there's something really wrong with castle rock. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Cause she has these visions or people come back to life. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, the, th- uh, something we didn't mention is that, uh, one of Abdi's guys, 
Abdi? Abdi? I'm sorry. Um, Abdi. I think Abdi. Abdi, yeah. They they find uh, uh, Annie's necklace in the construction site, and so he goes to the Marston house to kind of, like, thinking that it's a junkie's um, necklace, and then he gets... Uh, <laughs> he gets axed in the head. <laughs> um, yes, he does. Yeah, that was intense. I I liked that a lot. Um, so yeah, to kind of touch on that. Um, yeah, the and the ending was was good. It was suspenseful. It was kind of another. Do you remember in season one when that one episode, I think it was episode three, ends with Molly having a vision of Henry's father, like a uh, like an apparition, a ghost, and that's chasing her, and then the episode ends. Um. That's kind of how this mm-hmm. felt. It kind of felt a little underwhelming to me. It's like, okay, well, there's Ace. Like, what does this mean? Uh, we'll right. find out next time. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't have any references or Easter eggs except for one. So I guess I just lied there and said that I, I don't, but I do. I have one. Um, I don't know if this is intentional, but the way that the bugs are so prominent um, and the way that they kind of stick to the windows gave me such a vibe of the Mist uh, movie. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know if that was intentional on their part, but it just, it really made me think of that. And I, I kind of like that. Nice. I, like I didn't make that conclusion, but yeah, it does. Yeah. So, uh, rating out of 10 for new Jerusalem and where would you rate new Jerusalem, uh, Castle Rock season two, episode two? Uh, I'd probably stick with it like a six or a 6.5. Nice. I would say a seven. Um, not as good as the first episode for me, but, uh, still pretty solid. Um, with nice. some asterisks, asterisks, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's go into our review of episode three. This is our final review of the night. Um, we've been recording for a while. Um, so, uh, yeah. So episode three is called Ties That Bind. It also aired on October 23rd, 2019. Plot is Annie Tastes Her Own Medicine. Writer for this episode was Scott Brown, who also wrote, uh, Castle, uh, Castle Rock Season 1, The Box, and Henry Deaver, and uh, co-written by Obahai Janice. Uh, This is her only writing credit. I think she's an actress as well. Um, And director for this episode was Ann Sawitsky, who also directed an episode of Black Mirror Season 5, the uh, the, uh, Miley Cyrus episode, Uh, Rachel Jack and Ashley too. Uh, Quick plug for Anthology. Check out AnthologyPod.com, where I'm reviewing Black Mirror and Twilight Zone and science fiction theater. (laughs) Um, So, Tiny, what did you think of Ties That Bind? Did this this episode elevate... um, um, your opinion of the season or are you kind of still feeling it out? Uh, this elevated my, my feeling nice. towards it. Uh, this is my favorite of the three. Um, I, I really think I would have loved a, an entire episode of just joy, uh, having handcuffed her mother to the bed and just yes. them, that dynamic, Cause that was like, that's been some of my favorite, that's basically been my favorite part of the whole three episodes, the whole season so far. Nice. Um, Lizzie Kaplan was just on point in that as an actor, uh, mm-hmm. in, in those scenes, she was just phenomenal. Um, and, uh, again, Elsie Fisher is finally turning into a character. Right. Her character finally <laughs> has something to do. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm just, I'm just loving it. I, I love the interaction between those two. Um, I don't even remember a lot of the dialogue between them, but I just I love the dynamic of, you know, they had they they had this agreement 
that was sort of unspoken yeah. that we didn't even know about that, you know, apparently it was basically if she starts to go crazy enough, then she gives Joy permission to literally handcuff her to the bed. Yep. And like, that's just, just the fact that that was the thing that they had to talk about mm-hmm. was really cool. And the way they alluded to it was nice and subtle. Yes. Uh, I thought that was like, that wasn't, we didn't need any extra explanation there. Um, and the fact that I think Annie doesn't, it's like she knows she's crazy, mm-hmm. but she's still walking this tightrope where she's trying to, like, throughout those scenes, she's trying to, like, work with her daughter mm-hmm. while still get away and get out of there at the same time. Yes. And she's sort, she's sort of playing Joy throughout it mm-hmm. and keeping her keeping her placated to an extent while she's trying to escape. Um just it's just a, like a, a really fun dynamic and uh just just really good scenes between those two i i agree i love that element of this episode um specifically because it is such an overt uh reference <laughs> i mean it's misery it's gerald's game to an extent um yeah. it is like it is it's so interesting and like it could almost be if you're kind of cynical about it, it can be like a, uh, like, okay, they're, they're just doing the reversal of misery. Okay. That's kind of, that's, that's a cheap shot, but I, I was, I was taken with it. I was, I was all for it. Um, I loved seeing Lizzie Kaplan, like you said, playing Annie Wilkes as playing joy and trying to get her to, you know, see the light and (laughs) let her out. Um, Mm -hmm. just, it was a really cool dynamic. Um, yeah, it was and it was suspenseful. It was good. Um yeah. very uh just oh, made me nervous when she was trying to cut herself free. Um Yeah. The blood was really cool. Definitely. Yeah. But there was also um the stuff throughout this episode um <sighs> so I I was happy to see that Paul Sparks, uh, Ace Merrill, isn't mm-hmm. like is, is apparently actually back from the dead, right? <laughs> um, you know, to an extent, anyways. Like his mm-hmm. body is back or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm glad to see there's actually going to be more Paul Sparks, and he's not just going to be some character in the background or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's good. But I, the whole thing where he's sort of like, it's almost like he's collecting these people. Um, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of interesting. It's sort of intriguing to me. Um. I'm not, I don't know if it has any roots in any of the books anywhere. I, I really don't, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah. it's, it's something that I hope they get too quick or like they start <laughs> sort of, you know, explain what's going on quickly. Cause it's going to get old if we just keep seeing him kill people and then recruit them or whatever it is that he's doing, convert sure. them into his followers it's it's compelling, but it's only going to be compelling for a little while. So I hope they do something with it in the next episode. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I I understand that. I don't know if it has any ties to Stephen King per se. It does feel more rooted in like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, which yeah. is interesting because season one owes a great debt to the season two episode of the twilight zone, the howling man, which we talked about when we reviewed, um, castle rock season one, but it's just interesting that they are kind of doing this thing where, I mean, this, the show is based on characters and settings and situations, um, from Stephen King's massive body of work. Um, yet they are taking from other classic, like 
literature and, and film and, and science fiction and horror, like uh, The Twilight Zone and uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's just kind of peculiar to me, I think. Um, but uh, I do love the idea of Zombie Ace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's unsettling just seeing him just like when he visits Pop in the hospital. It's just it's very cold and very uh, – it's, it's just – it's already like a sharp turn from – what we saw in that first episode. Cause like I said, he's like, he has this simmering anger and this bully mentality, but now he's just like a deadpan, like, like aura of evil that is just really intense in a different way. And I kind of think that Paul Sparks plays it beautifully. Um, totally. Yeah. Um, let's see. So there was a scene where the, the two scenes, one, um, I think Annie goes into the Marston house and she sees, I think it was Abdi's guy who got killed in the last episode. He is like reanimated and he's eating an egg um, and speaking gibberish. Um, that sequence was creepy as hell. Um, I thought that was yeah. just really cool. Um, that and then later in the episode when I think it's the real estate agent or the uh, county selectman or whatever, uh, when she goes to the uh, Marston house with Ace, um, that in itself, like that whole sequence is a great, like mini horror movie. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the, uh, the bed and breakfast couple from season one, if you remember, um, yeah. how they have this kind of contained thing. Um, I just, I, I loved it. Like when, cause it escalates so, so well, like the, the tension is built so well, but like it is kind of, um, uh, preempted by uh, by Ace being creepy as shit and like asking <laughs> it's kind of like a flirtatious thing like it's like he's hitting on her but then he's like you can still have kids right <laughs> yeah just I just I, I loved that I loved that and then we see the reveal of the cop and uh, yeah how did you feel about that that whole sequence like the Marston house stuff yeah it was okay, okay um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wasn't super into it I I I don't know. I feel like um, the whole invasion of the body snatchers thing uh, is kind of just played out. Like mm -hmm. they sort of did a similar thing in like season three of Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, you know, I just yeah, they did. I don't know. I'm I'm not super into it, but it it was well, it's definitely not bad television, or it's not right. bad writing. It's just uh. It just feels a little tired to me that concept. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm not. I'm just not that into it. Sure. Okay. Um, that's fair. I was more. I'm more into it, but I can definitely understand that uh, lack of interest in it, just because it is, like you said, it's it's tropish. It's a little tropish. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's kind of a shame. Um, elsewhere in this episode we get more characterization for joy we get more growth for her uh she hangs out with she has another chance encounter tiny um <laughs> uh chance and her friends invite joy to basically uh remake stand by me slash the body um because <laughs> they yep. want to go find uh find ace's body how'd you feel about this whole thing um joy's um first ex presumably first experience with with drugs and uh her first kiss with chance how do you feel about this whole arc of the episode um yeah it's it's this i liked a little bit more i i do enjoy 
Um, maybe makes me a bit of a hypocrite because you know it's it's again a bit of a trope. Kids are going to see a dead body, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's also developing the character of Joy. It's sort of establishing her independence as a person, mm-hmm. and uh, and her uh, how, how she's gaining confidence and starting to think for herself and stuff like that. Because uh, her mother just treats her like a kid, and she's slowly becoming a person and becoming a you know an adult mm-hmm. and and you can't treat her like a kid anymore or she's going to do stuff like you know handcuff you to a bed, a bedpost right <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i i thought it was good character development and mm-hmm. just it's it's fun to see her kind of rebel a little bit i agree and it's funny cuz it's like it's not even like really that under normal circumstances, it's not rebellious, but under the regime of Annie Wilkes, it is absolutely abhorrent rebellion. <laughs> um, so <laughs> right. I kind of I kind of liked how how that growth is kind of organic and also uh, very unique to this uh, dynamic at play. Um, yeah. So tying her to the bed. Also, I mentioned the blood made me uneasy when she dislocates her shoulder, meaning Annie, obviously. Uh, that I felt that, <laughs> um, <laughs> that hurt to watch. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't really have much else about this. Um, it's kind of a, I don't want to say placeholder episode, but it's kind of a, kind of a building episode. Um, yeah. Cause we kind of get, you know, zombie ace, we get more development for the characters and everything. Um, how do you feel about the ending where Annie, has the uh, vision of the man, uh, and he says, "You know how the story ends. You're going to kill her." Uh, yeah. I. It's just so out of left field. It doesn't mean anything. I just ah. can't. <laughs> I can't get into it. Like, what the hell does that mean? I. Who's he gonna? Who's she gonna kill? Is she gonna kill her daughter? Is she gonna kill Nadia? I. I don't know. I took it, it just, to. I took it to imply joy, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I figure, but I don't know. I just, I don't just know. It, it's just, it, was, it was just a a super cryptic, like, uh, unknowable thing or just uh, unnecessarily cryptic, I guess, is, is a better okay. way to put it. Sure. Um, I dug it not as much as the ending of the first two episodes, but it, well, it was intriguing enough. Um, to kind of backtrack a little bit, also we get a little bit of backstory, um, potential backstory, I should say. <laughs> uh, Annie tells Joy that her father is hunting them, and that's what they're running from. Um, how did you feel about this kind of revelation? Do you buy it? Um. How do you how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, is it is sort of interesting. Like, I don't know if she's just telling that, telling her that, or if that's true, um, or if it's something that she just perceives in her head and it's not actually true, mm-hmm. or if she knows that she, you know if she was knowingly lying to Joy about that. I I really don't know, and it's it's that's sort of a fun mystery, I guess, or sort of a. Um, intriguing mystery um that i actually do sort of did sort of like to an extent okay um but again that's a little hypocritical of me maybe because <laughs> the scary guy in the hat saying you're gonna kill her i was like right. eh, okay <laughs> but i don't know i 
I, I'm just having trouble latching on to certain parts of the show, and and mm-hmm. I can't. I just really just can't get into it that much. Uh, okay. I don't know. Um, but I, I do. I am enjoying the characters though, and I I like the direction that Joy and Annie are are heading, where they're that's eventually going to come to a head, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, that's that's going to be, I think, interesting to watch. But uh, mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to be just a small part of the show. And like, there's all this other stuff that I. It's probably going to be more important and a, a bigger part of the story. But I'm not going to be as into it because it's just so. It's going to be so cryptically referenced throughout the season. <laughs> like that, I don't uh, know. We'll see. Yeah, I think what the show has going for it on that front is that it. Um, is is that it's an anthology show. So this season is all that we're going to have of this story. And I mean, <laughs> it seems like this is all we're going to have of Castle Rock. Um, right. Because it has not been renewed for season three. And I don't think it will because the showrunners are working on Overlook, which I am happy about. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I think that we'll get more payoff as the season progresses. But I mean, we're already essentially a third of the way through the season. So I can see the, I can understand the, um, the want for, um, for getting more, more information, more, uh, you know, reveals throughout. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Um, I think that'll do it for the review. I do have some references and Easter eggs. Do you want to indulge me for a second? Sure. Okay. So I don't know if you picked up on this, but this episode is kind of a, a big moment for the implications of Castle Rock, the show itself. Um, we got kind of 100% confirmation <laughs> that um, the events of season one occurred within the same universe of season two. Um, when Joy and Chance and their friends are going to find the body, um, the one of the one of the guy the the boy i think it was only one boy um he mentions that uh that there are so many dead bodies in in this lake and it's where the old warden of shawshank 86 himself um mm-hmm. and they never found the head referring to warden lacy in season 1 terry o'quinn um and then also in that scene, uh, Joy dives into the lake to get the ore and she comes up and she says, there's a weird sound down there. And I, I don't remember if the sound is the, is the exact, like is the schisma from season one, but I think it's a pretty safe bet. Um, mm-hmm. did you pick up on that at all? Or did you, how'd you feel about that? Yeah, it did make me think of season one. Definitely. Nice. Um, I think, I don't know if it's going to end up being a thing or if it's just sort of a playful thing they're throwing in there. Right. Uh, but yeah, I did pick up on that. Yeah, and like up until then there were like some like slight references to like Shawshank being shut down or or uh prisoners being transferred to other places in Shawshank, but this was like apt, like this was definitely like proof that uh they exist in the same realm. Um yeah, and then obviously Annie tied to the bed is a nice nod to misery and a little bit of Gerald's game. And then the final like little reference and Easter egg that I picked up was uh, Greg Grunberg is in the show. <laughs> um, he plays the cop. Yeah. Uh, he is a mainstay of JJ Abrams' uh, work. Um, right. So it's cool to see his, his buddy in his uh, show. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tiny, I think when it comes to this episode, 
this episode of the podcast, I think that uh, I think we're coming to the edge, running on the water, uh, coming through the fo- fog, your sons and daughters. So I think we should let the river run, <laughs> let the dreamers <laughs> wake the nation and come to New Jerusalem. Uh, okay, I'm done. Oh my god, you're you're a dork. I know. Okay, uh, any closing thoughts on these first three episodes? Also, what would your rating be for episode three? Uh, the uh, ties that bind. Yeah, ties that bind. Yes. Uh, it'd be a little better. I'd probably give it about a 7.5. Um, nice. Because, again, I love Lizzie Kaplan and Elsie Fisher working together mm-hmm. uh, or against each other. Nice. Um, in the, while she was handcuffed to the bed, that was just, I thought that was pretty, pretty compelling mm-hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, it's, um, overall, I, this episode was a little better and I'm a little more intrigued um, to see where it goes. Um, but overall, I'm just not feeling the season all that much still. I just think it's yeah. all so disjointed from one another. There's a little bit too much in the air and what is in the air, some of it's not being developed that well, in my opinion. So I can definitely understand that. Um you are contracted to <laughs> watch all of them and podcast about them with me. <laughs> Hopefully it picks up for you. Um I would well, wait to be- to be honest, I mean, even season one, like the first three episodes of season one, I really wasn't all that into them that much either. Yeah. So, and then that that season recovered pretty pretty decently well. So, yeah, especially we'll episode four was a huge episode because that was the one with Zalewski in the prison, right? Um, so yeah, maybe maybe things will pick up in this next batch of episodes. Um, yeah. For ties that bind, I would rate it probably seven, on par with episode two. Um, yeah, I just I I hope that we get uh, more interesting stuff. I'm enjoying it so far, but yeah, there is room for improvement. So hopefully, these next uh, episodes um, improve upon the previous ones. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think that'll do it for this episode. Tiny, how do you feel? Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. Good. So next time on the podcast, um, we're going to be reviewing. I don't know how I'm going to do this. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I might try to do like a Joe Hill solo thing, unless you want to read like a Joe Hill book or something um, and put it in between them. But uh, we'll probably end up doing Castle Rock season two, episodes four through six next time for episode 44 of the podcast. That is restore hope, the laughing place and the mother. Um, so yeah, so we'll do another batch of three episodes next time on tower junkies reviewing Castle Rock season two, episodes four through six. And, uh, yeah, let us know what you think of Castle Rock and um, this next batch of episodes as well um, so we can get some of your feedback in uh, for the episode recording that we're going to do. Um, yeah, check out our other stuff, obsessiveviewer.com for um, obsessive viewer watching, which is broad, uh, kind of a broad movie review, movie and TV review and discussion show. Uh, and then check out anthologypod.com, which is my solo podcast reviewing The Twilight Zone and... Black Mirror and uh, science fiction theater and everything. Um, Tiny, any parting thoughts for this episode of Tower Junkies? Mm, No, no, no parting thoughts. All right, cool. Well, uh, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, And it's not including some of the offshoot 
movies because I have like I'm actually really proud of like the the way that I have it laid out because I have us doing like the first book in in sections um, obviously and then we go into like uh, everything's eventual which isn't a Dark Tower book but it has ties to the Dark Tower um, yeah yeah why, why are you laughing <laughs> just when, when you said we would uh, um. We would review the first book uh, in chapters, obviously. It just made me think of the uh, Leroy Jenkins video where he's like 3.14 or like 0.3 repeating, of course. Right. <laughs> uh, and this is the most Leroy, Jen- uh, Leroy, Leroy Jenkins thing that I've probably done this week. Um. <laughs> and as and like as you were saying that, I was looking through the master list and I realized you have it in chronological order too. Uh, yep. Oh yeah, naturally. Based on, based on release date or whatever. <laughs> yes. Um, so. Yep. Yeah. Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com/archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com/TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. Finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!